And a pleasant good evening, Mets fans. And welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. And oh my goodness, folks. It's Sunday night. We're starting, we're hitting record at 11.15 at night. And as you can imagine, the game that we just saw is the game that you just saw on Sunday Night Baseball. And myself, Sam Lebowitz, joined as always by the lovely Jack Hendon. We just... We wanted to record immediately after the game ended because, especially as this game was unfolding, it turned out this game, this is a game we wanted to talk about in detail. And Jack, I know, I know, I'm feeling a little shaken but excited. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm, I'm over the moon. I had so much fun. I don't even care about what led up to that final out. Um, the fact that it happened, the fact that it's how this series ended, it's just so amazing. Um, we always, we've, this has been an inside joke between the two of us. We always seem to do what, when we do our recordings on Sundays, uh, as soon as we finish recording, something happens that we could have talked about in the podcast for at least 10 minutes. Um, I'm very happy that we've waited this one out because we could talk about this, I think, for at least 90 minutes. Um, we're not going to do that because we have other things to do, but I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon. I, this has been the best series in such a long time. I'm, I'm thrilled. I hate the Phillies. If you somehow missed it for you, for you folks at home, if you somehow missed why we're so, you know, you know, pent up with energy on a Sunday night, uh, well, the Mets and the Phillies just played a great series. The Mets, first of all, they lost the opening game of the series two to one with both runs scoring on a bases loaded passed ball on a strikeout that James McCann boxed around and kicked aside. Uh, the strikeout, by the way, was Chase Anderson, the Phillies pitcher. So the Mets lost that game because uh, of, of James McCann yeah, unable to catch a strikeout yesterday saturday rolls around mets mets go out and score four in the the first against uh zach wheeler phillies wind up coming back to tied in the middle innings and michael conforto hits a home run a very big a very important home run for this team for the season against hector Norris in the top of the ninth inning and then tonight and then tonight sunday night the third game of the series uh not looking great early david peterson was giving up some hard contact gave up a very long leadoff home run uh Mets came back, tied it, went ahead in the middle innings, two to one on a kind of a weird, lucky heads up play. Uh, then D. Gregorius hit a three run homer to put the Phillies ahead against Miguel Castro, kind of the first time Miguel Castro hasn't looked great this year. Then the Mets came back. They scored six runs in the top half of the eighth inning. Kevin Pillar hit a home run. Uh, uh, Jonathan VR had some really cool base running play that he did that tied the game. Then Pete Alonso on, you know, cleared the bases with a three run double. And then the Phillies down four runs in the ninth inning against Edwin Diaz. Roman Quinn hit an RBI triple. The Phillies got another base runner on first and third, two outs, Reese Hoskins, who, Oh, we just love Reese Hoskins. Don't we? And I haven't even talked about the Jose Alvarado drama from Friday night. By yeah. The way. We're going to, I think we, we should save that. Cause that's why this, this is like, that's just the adds adds to it. Yeah. It's the one it's the one narrative I'm leaving out from this kind of quick, you know, brain dead recap. Yeah, you're uh, good. You're good. It it that, sucked energy out of the game sucked the life out of me. I, I'm content with the result, but you know, yeah, I Reese, Reese Hoskins came about three inches from tying this game with a three run homer. And in fact, we thought that he did. He thought the original jerk off. I think for about you know, two minutes, everyone thought he did because yeah. the, the call on the field was home run. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they put the, the tying runs on the scoreboard. Hoskins rounded the bases, celebrated. Phillies fans were cheering. Stupid thing, whatever stupid, that is. Yeah, the stupid bullhorn thing that he does with his hand when he rounds first base after a home run. It's it was his. To the bullpen, that's what it is. It's signaling to his own bullpen, like, hey, guys, I did it. Hey, you guys, did it. That. You didn't do you, it, you, actually. You, you didn't. Did. Yeah, it was. They thought it was his hundredth career homer. It wasn't. It was his 99th career homer. Or well, no, no. he still has 99 career homers. It was. It was. It wasn't his hundredth career homer. It was his a double mm-hmm. and a two RBI double. And they took the run off the board after review. 
and that uh, Diaz gave way to Familia. There might be an injury situation there. At this point, we don't know. You guys probably know more when you listen to this. Uh, and then he struck out Bryce Harper. Familia struck out Bryce Harper. So they took the run off the board. Reese Hoskins was big mad about it, and they made the right call. It did hit yeah. the railing out of seat. Uh, and the Mets win the game by a score of 8-7, to seven, one of the more entertaining baseball games, ripe with drama and intrigue. Uh, there's just so much. There's just so much to say. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin, Jack. I think the best thing we could do is probably start with that last pitch. Um, Jerry's familia hasn't gotten, I think, all the credit that he is probably entitled to this year because he basically came in at the bottom rung of the bullpen. And in many respects, he still is, right? It's not, this isn't a redemption arc in which he has become you know, the new closer or the, the new setup man even, but he earned a world of credibility back in my book, at least with that at bat to Bryce Harper for someone like Familia, who has time and time again, had trouble, immense trouble pitching to the first batter and getting acclimated. It's the whole reason why his innings are long, why runs score, why we hate him. He showed up with two out against one of the premier hitters in all of baseball with the tying run at second base everyone assuming the game's over and he struck Bryce Harper out twice essentially because that that one and two pitch that they called um a ball was right knees on black it was a perfect pitch that they didn't call the umpires had a they had one this series um so first just getting that out of the way huge shout out to Jerry's familiar because that was huge um that was that this kind of loss I think would have been deafening um the fact that they kept it, you know, the way it was uh, and the fact that they came back after the Gregorius home run, because that's the other component of this. This is a team that has gotten a lot of flack and rightfully so for not hitting in the clutch. They put together 17 hits tonight and they got a lot of hits from people that uh, I think, Sam, I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, but I definitely was not under the impression uh, could really swing the bat guys like Jonathan VR. Uh, who had the heads up base running play uh, Kevin Pillar hit a home run today he had two other hits uh, Jose Peraza made his debut and had a base hit it goes in the scorebook as a base hit it was kind of a trickling grounder that got under Hoskins uh, on a dive you know it's it's it I think when a when a team's little guys are coming through like that it says it speaks volumes about the kind of culture within the team. This is not a kind of game that I think the Mets would have won last year. Uh, potentially not a game they would have won two years ago either, because most of Diaz's bad games ended in losses. Um, and we hope Diaz is fine. He really did not seem to have it from the, from, from the get-go uh, in terms of control, but hopefully everything's okay. The fact that they did this without J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo is also incredible, but I've gone on a lot. I don't know where we should turn to next but maybe the Alvarado stuff is what's important because we haven't touched on that and that made this whole thing I think a little bit more personal for us because like I well personal as fans because it it it's the first time I've really seen this this group of Mets players uh show the red ass it was great yeah so I'll just I'll quick hits on 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 those topics you hit on yes lost in a lot of this Post game is is Familia coming in throwing strikes to Bryce Harper, who also might not have really been healthy. He kind of banged. He he took an awkward swing in his previous at bat uh, and, and didn't swing the rest of the at bat. Tried to bunt actually, so we weren't you know. And he's dealt with wrist stuff this week, so we don't really know what's going on with him. But he did swing in that at bat, swung through the first pitch, uh, swung through the last pitch. That's really all that's important. But kudos to Jerry's Familia for coming in, shutting the door. Um, hopefully Edwin's fine. Uh, not okay. I want to, I want to say this. He did not look good, but not worried about him as a pitcher at the moment. No, because he's been great. Otherwise I know four pitch walk to start it gave up a triple to literally Roman Quinn. Sure. He clearly wasn't right. That's why that happened. So yeah. And he was working for a second straight day. So, you know, you don't know what the, with, with fatigue or whatever, but, um, you threw a lot of pitches and not, not, I don't want to say I'm worried yet there. So I'm not, I'm trying not to, to ring the bell too soon there, but if you know, he's healthy and comes out again in, in two or three days and looks equally as bad, then maybe I'll be a little bit worried. Um, 
Yeah, uh, to your point about the depth guys, even if J.D. Davis and, and Brandon Nimmo were in the lineup today, I don't know if they win this game, frankly, because you had three hits out of Kevin Pillar and you had a pair of hits and, and some really heads of base running by Jonathan VR. And, you know, I, I, I've been critical about, very critical about Kevin Pillar. The guy freaking blocked me on Twitter for, for a critical tweet. Not even that bad of a critical tweet. Come on, Kevin, you know that. Uh, and I've been pretty critical about Jonathan VR too, because the the guy takes some really bad at bats. He took he a really a really, really bad, bad at bat at bat today too. I mean, it was yeah with runners with runners on base. He took a really really bad at bat he where he swung three pitches at his head. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, he has been a decent pickup this year. He had the the walk off hit against the Phillies a few weeks back at City Field, and he he played well today. And he had that really really heads of base running play in which he went first to third on that weird kind of. Uh, single from Peraza in which he, he hit a, a like a one hop smash to Reese Hoskins that yeah. Hoskins let it hit his like it hit Hoskins glove and trickled behind him. Uh, VR went first to third on that play and then kind of the Phillies. I think Hoskins was mad about the fact that he didn't come up with the play and and tossed it into his second baseman kind of you know uh, lobbed it lollygagging. He paid no he attention to VR. And yeah, yeah, I was looking for the I was looking for the right adjective there, but he lobbed it into his second baseman. And VR saw the lack of awareness from Hoskins as he was throwing it in and broke for home and beat it with beat it beat the play without a throw, and that tied the game at four. And that was after PR PR VR Pilar had hit a home run uh, for his third hit of the day. So these, as bad as Pilar has been, and as kind of meh as VR had been, like they don't win this game without those two guys. They were, it came up really big for this team today and uh, the whole Alvarado stuff. We'll, we'll get into that. The context of it is that Alvarado came and hit uh, Conforto in that series at city field earlier this year. The Mets bench took offense to it. It was a fastball that hit him. Uh, Dom Smith was mouthing at him a little bit from the dugout. Uh, Alvarado was kind of saying, Oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. Right. Not, you know, he's never had control. He doesn't know where the ball's going. Uh, he almost and, decapitated Conforto earlier in the at bat, and then he came in at his wrist, and they they told him to figure it out. And this time around, uh, Alvarado got the strikeout on Smith on Friday night, and Friday was a pretty like humbling game. I think like it was it was not fun to lose to only score one run off Chase Anderson, giving up the two runs the way they did, and then you're getting like basically screamed at by Jose Alvarado. Uh, until you acknowledge him, because he wanted the Mets to acknowledge him. Um, and then he just, as soon as Dom looked at him, the guy dropped his glove, prepared to throw hands. Like, he wanted every part of Dom Smith. Uh, Dom handled it perfectly appropriately. I thought his comments after the game were great, too. I thought what was really strange, though, and what I think resonated through the series was the following half inning when Miguel Castro pitching to Reese Hoskins to lead off the inning in a two to one game, a one run game, hot Castro misses inside uh, with two fastballs, the first, a two, two pitch, then a three, two pitch. You've, if you've seen Castro's fastballs, you know that when they miss inside, they miss pretty badly inside because they tail uh, the pitch came nowhere close to hitting Hoskins. But because he thinks he's like Mark Teixeira and, and needs to like command respect from play, you know, from other pitchers and let them know how he feels about being pitched inside. He's just started like, you know, mouthing to Castro and Castro approached him because I think anyone would if someone like Reese Hoskins was was giving it to you for walking him to lead off an inning when he's the insurance run. Absolutely no way that's intentional. And Castro got fined for that. He got fined for approaching Hoskins. I don't even know if Hoskins got in any trouble for what he did. Alvarado obviously got the suspension, which he should have accepted because in appealing it and getting to play today, he pitched very badly and that was very fun. But what Hoskins did was like, you know, that, that, that made me hope for the worst for him in every at bat that followed during that series. And for the most part, we got our way. Yeah, so this isn't the first time the Mets have had issues with Reese Hoskins specifically. There was the whole deal a couple of years ago with Jacob Rame, in which Rame, who also, like like Alvarado, never really knew where the fastball was going, like Miguel Castro, has had his control issues. Threw in the vicinity of Hoskins' head. Uh, you, probably, most likely, not intentional. Hoskins uh, later on homered against Rame and took like 75 minutes to round the bases. Yeah. Uh, which was just excessive. And 
listen, Reese Hoskins is, is a fine baseball player. He's, he's pretty good. He hits his homers. He's a good hitter. He's passable at first base. And to his own fan base, he seems like a fun dude. Yeah, I get it. You know, he's he's good friends with the the Cespedes family barbecue guys. They tweet the same thing every time he hits a home run. Like, it's a nice little thing he's got going on there. Like, uh, he was mic'd up tonight. You usually don't. ESPN doesn't mic up players if they're not going to give good sound. So, uh, you know, he he seems like a decent dude. Every time he plays the Mets, I swear, he comes off like the biggest bitch on the planet. Yeah. He and just wants, he just thinks that everyone's out to get him all the time. He's not even the best player on his team. He's not even the second or third best player on the team. He's probably the fourth best player on the team. It's you got Nola, Wheeler, Harper, and Real Muto above right. him, probably. Uh, like he's just he's, he's he complains about everything on the field. I don't know if I you know I don't watch enough Phillies games to know if he does this outside of the Mets Phillies rivalry, but the dude just complains and he was complaining to the umpires after the home run call got overturned like i understand i understand the frustration you thought you tied the game like that's an exciting moment you thought you really came through for your club but they went to they went to review they they reviewed it for like three or four minutes to make sure they got it right so what are you going to do complain at that point yeah after you've probably seen the replay yourself you probably know it hit the railing like why are you complaining? Why are you screaming at the umpire at that point? Why are you so mad at the umpire when they literally went and found proof that you, yeah. you know, didn't quite, you know, hit the weight room kick? Come on, you I'd, love to, I'd love to hear the mic on that. If he had the mic on him still after that, which hopefully he did. Um, I'm sure we won't get it for another, like, I'm going to need you to repeat that one King. That, that's cool. Um, I said that I, I wonder if they have the mic on for that soundbite when he screamed at the umpires for not, you know, making the call that he wanted that. that oh, yes. I'm sure, I'm sure they do have it. Cause he was mic'd up. I, I would love to hear that you sound. I'm sure it it's not like a year or so because it's a sensitive subject right now, but, and then, yeah, I mean, so what else was there? I, I mean, I, there's potential. Yeah. There's, there's some potential there to be, uh, you know, Terry Collins level, you know, uh, you got to give us a shot level uh, of funny kind of yelling and screaming while mic'd up. I, I got to say, we do have an update on Edwin Diaz. Thank, okay. Thankfully, it is, it's not arm-related. It is, it's back tightness is what they're saying. Um, doesn't seem serious. So that's the deal with, with Diaz. Hopefully, he's fine for maybe the second half of the St. Louis series or when the Mets return home um, uh, you know, next weekend to face uh, – is it the Orioles who they get after the – or the so. Nationals? Who, and Matt uh, Harvey might be in line to pitch, to pitch to us, which would be really fun. But Yeah, so, so – the the deal with Alvarado, Alvarado again just was mouthing off against him and Dom have a whole thing. Dom was saying after the game, you know, I'm a grown ass man. If you want to, if you want a piece of this, come get some. Yeah, um, me in the tunnel. Yeah, and then it's it's very very tasty, very very tasty that uh, Alvarado gave up the a single to McNeil, a walk to Lindor, and the go ahead bases loaded walk to Conforto today that he didn't do his job. He didn't get a single out. So. Really, really tasty. I don't want to be all vindictive and stuff, but like, no, was, I, I'm okay. It with was fun. Vindictive. It was fun. He it was clearly fun. said something bad enough to get him suspended for three games because you usually don't get suspended for like, if you got suspended for just chirping, a lot of players would get suspended more often. Like, clearly, there was something else going on there. And well, the fact that, okay. Yeah. We, we've seen this already once this season in Major League Baseball where a player who quote unquote instigates a bases clearing incident get suspended no matter what they said or really did. And that, that happened with the Reds with Nick Castellanos earlier in the season where he scored a run and then like got up and, and, and screamed in the catcher's face in celebration. And, it might and, be a COVID thing, honestly. No, it, it is a COVID thing. They're yeah. like, you know, they really want to keep players on the bench and away from each other. And I uh, wonder if, uh, if Pete's going to get suspended then for his base, instigating a basis clearing incident. That's what Boom. he said. Got him. This this dude said base is clearing. Um, this is the game has just taken so many words out of me anyway. So I get it. Yeah. Um, but what else is there? We haven't even talked about Donnie yet, dude. That's I don't know what to say about Donnie. That's what do we say about the whole Donnie? series? Because I don't think in the same way you can't explain what happened this weekend, just the emotions. You can't point to a guy and be like, yes, that's Donnie Stevenson. We have no idea if Donnie Stevenson is real or not. Um, Pete Alonzo, basically, if you missed this, which 
to this point, if you still don't know what it is, uh, if you still don't even know the joke, like, what are you doing? Um, of course, the joke is nobody actually knows who he is. Uh, Pete mentioned that the Mets brought in like another assistant hitting coach uh, named Donnie. He just referred to him as Donnie. He's like, I forgot his last name in like the post game. And then at the last second, he goes, oh, Stevenson. Like he's just got the best poker face. And I think as soon as Steve Cohen tweeted later on in the night, like what he said, which was basically, yeah, I love Donnie. He's super, he's a great find. He's super cheap. Like he's clearly not an actual hitting instructor that they've called in. Um, the transactions page, the coaches staff, none of that's been updated. This, this, as far as what Donnie actually is, though, we don't know. Donnie could be a performance-enhancing substance. Uh, Donnie could be the clubhouse janitor. Uh, Donnie could be Pete Alonzo in a mustache and goggles uh, channeling an alter ego. It could be anything. But J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto couldn't really answer much about it. And hopefully it, it – we, we get a little bit more time to guess because I'm, I'm enjoying the Sid Finch uh, discourse around it. Yeah, the Mets. So on one hand, the Mets have said that he's a real person on, you know, on that hand, they've said that he's a, a hitting approach guy, you know, a mental coach who deals with hitting approach and, and meets with hitters. And yet we don't we don't know if any of that's true. Well, I can assure uh, you it's not Chili Davis, but it's absolutely not Chili Davis. But what we do know, what we do know is that something clicked for the Mets on Friday when they scored one run and lost uh, in a game where they didn't allow the opposing team to have a single RBI. Yeah. Uh, and they came out in the next game against a good pitcher in Zach Wheeler, and they scored four runs in the first inning. And they hit a big time home run. And after the game, they, every hitter that they, that was interviewed mentioned Donnie Stevenson in some fashion. And then they come out today and they get eight runs on 17 hits with a home run. So something's clearly up. Something has clearly flipped for this team. They have made an adjustment. McNeil had a very quiet four hit day today. Michael Conforto had had three hits. Dom Smith had a pair of doubles. Uh, you know, we've already talked about Pilar and VR doing their job. And of course, uh, Pete Alonzo swinging first pitch on a fastball with the bases loaded. Absolutely killed a baseball into the right center field gap to score three runs. Torture. So all the, all the, you know, the, um, the hitters in this lineup that are homegrown right now, they all kind of went off today. The guys who didn't, you know, go off are the, the two big offensive acquisitions from the offseason. We will talk Francisco Lindor because that is a narrative that keeps progressing further and further down the rabbit hole. And also James McCann is just kind of not not a good baseball player right now. Uh, but something clearly clicked. Something clearly clicked for this offense after Friday night, whether they had, you know, one of those closed door meetings that always seems to have at least some kind of effect, you know, uh, but something clicked and whether Donnie Stevenson is a real person or not, whether he was hired after that game on Friday and came in and screamed at these players and told them what they're doing wrong on Saturday afternoon before that game, or, or if he's cocaine, I don't, I don't know. Pete Alonzo rubbed his nose tonight on the base paths. Who knows, man? I actually have a theory and it just came to me and it actually makes perfect sense. Um, can I pitch it? Do we have like two minutes for me to pitch this? Is, do we have an opportunity? Yes, King, speak your truth. Because okay. um, my my honest opinion is that the thing that it changed the complexion of this series, especially from an offensive standpoint, was Jose Alvarado provoking the Mets the way that he did, um, provoking Dom Smith the way that he did. Um, I think Donnie Stevenson is Dom Smith's alter ego. You think about it, the initials, are perfect. The, the context makes sense because he may have been like, you don't want to get, you don't want to, what if he's like, you don't want to bring Donnie Stevenson out, right? What if that's what it is? What if it's like this, this, as I say it, it doesn't sound as smart, but if no, that, 
I, I'm I'm down with that. That makes sense because Dom's post game comments after that loss on Friday, when he was like, "Man, if you very badass, very oh yeah, what we're used to." Yeah, Dom is a great guy. We love Dom. We rarely ever see that aggressive side out of him, especially when talking to the media. And I could see that. I could see him, you know, because they said that was another thing that they were saying is that Donnie Stevenson fires the guys up. So Dom's comments post game, they could have had, you know, the clubhouse amped up like, all right, Dom's got our back. He's ready to fight for us. So let's go, let's go out there and fight a little bit. And you know, Dom is making like league minimum. He would fit Steve's description as very cheap. He is he is a pre-arbitration, yeah. So uh that could be it. That could be Honestly, it. Yeah, we we might have something. The FBI might be uh, knocking on my door in a second now, but we might have something. Donnie Stevenson, Dom Smith, crazier things have happened, but it also it could be just it could be just a little it could be like a magic eight ball that they're shaking. You know, how are we gonna get are we gonna score runs today? favorable all right cool let's go do it like uh, who knows man it could yeah. it could be a, it could be a little a little doll they're praying to all a all a uh major league yeah like I mean, Jobu. freaking espn sunday night baseball and we're not going to do this every time there's a sunday night game but like of course espn didn't even mention it didn't even think to acknowledge it the entire game all they were talking about was how awful francisco Lindor is which is like completely unfair i mean he hasn't been a good hitter he went hitless today there's no denying he had a bad month and he hasn't broken out yet a rod just like apparently howie rose had a lot of things to say on the radio call which weren't very savory i haven't listened to it knowing how howie rose spoke to francisco Lindor during that extension presser like I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just like extremely stupid Long Island radio brain, but like, like a rod was just calling his swing lazy and complicit or complacent or something. It was like, like, I don't, where do you get off? Like, just leave him alone. It That's honestly how I feel about it. I think Lindor is going to be fine. I think that the Donnie Stevenson thing, is way more relevant to what the team is doing right now than anything that Lindor's doing with the bat. Uh, that's, I realize that's kind of a tangent to throw us on, but I also think that like, I don't know, man, like it just, it, 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 yeah, I don't like ESPN. It's frustrating. It's okay. I, I do believe ESPN mentioned the Donnie Stevenson stuff. They didn't go into great detail about it, but I think they mentioned it. And it, but it was a bad broadcast tonight. It was a very bad broadcast tonight. A Rod has it doesn't sound like he even played baseball when he talks oh. about it. it. It's ridiculous the things he says. And, and Matt Vasgersian, I feel like every time I listen to him, he, he's getting worse and worse as a play-by-play man. I know he's doing uh, some Angels games this year. He's splitting duties over there. So maybe you know, maybe that would be better for him as a, as a thing rather than doing national. Over to Anaheim, get out of here. Yeah, go, you know, familiarize yourself with the team before you, you call them because he, when he's on these national casts, these Sunday night casts, he, he sounds unprepared. Yeah. Uh, the thing he said, he was talking about James McCann and McCann's, I believe, first at bat tonight. And he was comparing and contrasting Real Muto and McCann's free agencies. Yeah. And he said that the Mets wanted Real Muto, that they had their eyes set on Real Muto. And they pivoted to James McCann once the Phillies re-signed Real Muto, which is, which is just absurdly not true. I don't it's know how true. you get that wrong even. The whole like narrative around like, the McCann signing was that why are you giving him all this money when Real Muto's right there? And McCann signed well before New Year's. Yeah. He was the like I think it might have still God. been no, it might have still been November when McCann signed, and Real Muto signed in February. Yeah. So it's just it, he clarified it like three innings later when someone clearly got in his ear and said, "Hey, you said this earlier. That's a mistake." Uh, but the fact that's an egregious mistake because he got the timeline completely wrong, and the fact that you're first of all you're making a huge deal. Of this it's this weird narrative every time the Mets are, are on, uh, not just Sunday Night Baseball but national telecasts. I've noticed because they've been on a couple this year. They talk they they make a really big point to talk about the fact that the Mets have signed all these free agents these major league free agents like nine free agents yeah. and so when Trevor May came in the game they were like he's one of the nine free agents the Mets got 
James McCann, one of the night, one of the big free agents the Mets got. So, you know, they're focusing on a lot on McCann, but like, if you're going to focus on the, the off season, the Mets had get your timeline, right? Yeah. You know, that should be in the notes packet. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe they're not prepared. They, they, it's, I don't know, man. I just, I, sound really, prepared. I wish that ESPN put the same, at least half of the effort into baseball broadcasts, the way that they do when they're making these like Avengers style promos for the NBA, which are amazing. I wish there was that for baseball. Like that's so good for the sport. And yet here, I, I honestly, I think what they do is they just hand A-Rod the keys. They're like, A-Rod, you, you play baseball. Why don't you talk about the game for like, you know, three and a half hours. And A-Rod's whole thing is that like everyone who tries to hit a home run is the antichrist because God forbid somebody hit enough home runs to like, you know, pass him in the record books, like all that time spent mooching off of, you know, taking performance enhancers and hitting home runs. And now like, if, if a guy's not hitting the ball on the ground, he should be tried and quartered. Like that's, that's A-Rod's whole game. Every time he's on the broadcast, that's his approach is like, man, I really wish he's talking about Lindor and batting practice. Like nobody ever, nobody ever goes into batting practice and is like, I'm only going to hit the ball on the ground. Unless you are somebody who already has no power and a lot of speed, that's batting practice is not a time to hit balls on the ground. Yeah, like, if you're Tim LaCastro or Nick Madrigal, go ahead and do that. But if you're yeah. Francisco Lindor, just hit, hit the ball hard. Like, Stupid. His comment, too, where he was like, he should be – it was so – you know what it is? He just loves yeah. the oh, smell just of him. his own feet. He's he, All he does is talk about his – Yankees, his time. He's like Lindor should be a little bit less like Giambi and Matsui, and a little more like Jared Jeter and Johnny Damon. He actually said that. And when he said that, I wanted to throw my computer across the room. I'm so he glad said, you're on the team. He, oh, I have a feeling he'd get along with Chili Davis. Great. He said one thing about Lindor during this telecast. He said that weird comment. Yeah, like you said like he should be more like Jeter and Damon in terms of approach. Like, what should you get arrested for? Why? This is, <laughs> this is a guy with three. This is a guy with th- like three thirty homer seasons, and you're telling him that he shouldn't be, you know, vying for that. Uh, he he said something about Francisco Lindor, and I understand Francisco Lindor has like it's it's perfectly viable to you know be critical of Francisco right now because he has been bad. You know, he it seemed like maybe he was getting close to turning the corner the other day. He was hitting some ball hard, some balls hard today. His first four plate appearances were, were god awful, and then he walked. And then in his last at bat, he walked the count full and got thrown a really nice three-two breaking ball and, and hit it fairly hard, but right at the second baseman. So, you know, last two at bats better than the first four. The first four were god awful, uh, and so Arod was being critical about him. And, and sure, you know, you have every right to be. The guy's hitting under uh, under two hundred right now. He's got like uh, two or three extra bases the entire season. So like that, I, I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is you, first of all, you being a man with over 600 home runs in your career, saying you want to penalize a guy for hitting home runs. Like, first of all, hypocritical much. Second of all, what? You said that if you were Chili Davis, if you were his hitting coach, that if Francisco Lindor hit more than 20 or 25 home runs in a season, you would penalize him? You would fine him for hitting home runs? I think Alex Rodriguez is one of a, about a dozen men on the planet who should understand the value of the home run. Yeah. And, and yet he yeah. so clearly doesn't. He so clearly doesn't. He doesn't and understand why home thing, run. Yeah. The other thing, and then I think we will probably be best to move on to James McCann, who's been a lot worse in my opinion. Um, you know, going back to ESPN not being prepared, the whole thing about how like, because A-Rod's whole thing, you know, he just prematurely diagnoses the Lindor situation without even understanding or even attempting to understand what's happening statistically with him or this team. He just gets on immediately, gets on a soapbox about how Lindor is getting under the ball too much. He's trying to hit too many home runs. Anytime a hitter is doing something wrong, it's because he's trying to hit too many home runs. That's A-Rod's prognosis. But if you look at Lindor's figures, all he's doing is hitting weak ground balls and popping out to the infield. He's, he's falling under a, a, like some weird small ball approach that 
he will get over because he's a professional but it is not this it's 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 not like what we would see with like Cespedes five years ago where he would get in this rut where he gets super pull happy and try and hit home runs like Lindor is not that kind of player it's it's just extremely lazy and and it's not a good look just especially when that's one of the best hitters of all time speaking that way it, it just I don't know man that's that's all I have on ESPN yeah it's it's ridiculous it's it's a it's just a bad it was a bad product tonight and and A-Rod is a bad analyst and I, I have no qualms with saying that because I thought I honestly thought he was pretty good in studio when he was doing pre and post game coverage I think for Fox Sports mm-hmm. then he gets brought on these these Sunday night baseball telecasts and he is like mind-numbingly atrocious at it insufferable insufferable his analysis is terrible he says things someone i think on the on the twitter timeline maybe said something earlier tonight about how when he talks when he gives analysis it sounds like he's giving these ham-fisted pre-recorded lines in like a video game yeah as someone who plays mlb the show like it does sound like that it sounds like recycled analysis that you could use on on just you know you know cookie cutter uh, uh plays and swings and like yeah it's it's ridiculous and it's bad and like yeah, Francisco's been bad, but the reason he, he's not trying to hit home runs, I don't think. I think he's just pressing a little bit right now. I think he's trying to punish baseballs the way he always has in his entire career. Yeah. And because something about his swing is not quite right or something about the mental aspect of his game right now is not quite right, it's just not working for him. He He's in like an 0-for-18 stretch right now heading into the St. Louis series this week. And, you know, if he steps in against Adam Wainwright tomorrow night, tonight, Monday night, and you know, he punches a single through the right side. He'll breathe a sigh of relief, and he'll be fine. Yeah. All he needs is to get one right now. Yeah. All he needs is to get one right now. It doesn't need to be a homer. He just needs to find find a gap, find a hole somewhere, hit something hard that finds grass, and and he's going to be fine. He's Francisco Lindor. One person I don't I don't I don't know if I one person I don't know if he's going to be fine is James McCann. Yeah, because we are very quickly approaching meme status with James McCann, because every time he steps up to the plate, it's ground ball it's to the right side. Or, he tried or, to hit into at least ground ball, two, ground ball, ground ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he didn't hit into a double plate today because he tried his damned hardest to hit into like two or three. Yeah, there was the ground ball to Bohm that Bohm like backed up on and 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 kind of bobbled and, and got the one out at second should have been a double play. And then there was the comebacker that scored the Mets second run that put him ahead two to one. The, he hit it hard, but it was right at the pitcher at Eflin. Yeah. And Eflin almost threw it away and, and they got no outs on the play. So he probably should have hit into two double plays in this game. Yep. He's Oh, he's so bad. He hit one, like he hit a couple balls hard tonight. One was that comebacker and then he lined out to center, but mm-hmm. he's got a very, very specific swing path and yeah. anything outside that swing path, he is popping up to the right side or hitting on the ground somewhere weekly. So he's been bad. He had a little tiny yeah. bleeder single today and that's his only hit that he had. That was really fun to watch though. He's had a few of those like 14 mile per hour exit velo hits. Uh, I think, you know, I feel bad because his wife is taking a, a, a wash of shit on Twitter from her, uh, you know, from, from Mets Twitter. And I, I don't endorse that at all. I think that's pretty ridiculous. Just it's, it's in the same vein as booing players. Don't go after players, families, like just don't do it. Make a joke about the player, um, you know, but that's, 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 that's the first thing. The second thing is that it's going to be less of a problem. I think if the rest of the offense continues to click this way it won't be as big a problem it's still going to be a bit of a problem if he fields the way he's been fielding because it has not it has not been that good he basically cost us the game on friday with the drop third strike apparently that was a cross-up between him and stroman um so it's you know maybe it's half his fault half stroman's fault um if you're not hitting and you, and you have these, like, improved defensive statistics, which he did when the Mets signed him, you need to bring it. Um, I'm honestly – I don't know if it's just me. Hopefully it's not. But I'm honestly getting to the point, Sam, where I feel like 
they need to consider giving Tomas Nito more playing time. Because again, like McCann also is not somebody who has really been a starter for much of his career, which is why this four-year, $40 million thing was kind of perplexing because it was like, you know, he started in Detroit and that didn't go so well. So he went to the White Sox and thrived in a part-time role with Yasmani Grandal, who is a great catcher, but you know, it's it's it it still stands to reason that James McCann is not an everyday catcher, really. Certainly not offensively. I don't know if you feel the same way though. Oh, I've been felt the same way, my friend. Yeah. I first of all, I've been a Tomas Manito believer for for a while. Mm-hmm. I think he's a very very strong defensive catcher. I think first of all, miles and miles better than what we we dealt with last season with Wilson Ramos, obviously. Yeah. But I think he's you know McCann despite the kind of crappiness that he went through the other night has not been awful defensively. He has had his missteps. He is an average framer it appears, and he is a, a good thrower, uh, which has been nice. Mm-hmm. Tomas Nito is, is, is good defensively, not just average. He's borderline, you know, getting on towards elite in terms of defensive metrics. If you look mm-hmm. at the stuff that he's, he's never had a, a big enough sample size to really like, show this but his small sample size has been great he's also got a strong throwing arm he can frame really well uh, he's a good blocker very athletic catcher uh and i'm not going to say there's no bat there i'm not or i'm not going to say there's you know a bat there but i don't think there's no bat there either i think he's yeah. more than capable to at least mirror the production we've gotten from mccann right now if not better than like we can't go through a season or we can't go through another couple weeks of james mccann being a 400 ops player yeah. we just can't and you really Nito, Nito is, is on this roster for a reason, and I get they, yeah. they played – like, he he probably, you know, would have gotten into this game otherwise. Or uh, No, I'll, I'll amend that because, uh, you know, if the Mets had more bench players, he wouldn't have gotten in the game. But, like, he's he's not getting reps right now, and he should probably start one of the next couple games in St. Louis. I would vouch for him to start the DeGrom game because the last time he started was the last time DeGrom – pitch to him which was the, the national start in which he struck out 15 and had a complete game shutout so they seem to have a good thing going yeah. uh, i would vouch for them to be paired together again this week yeah. uh, i i i think there's no downside i think mccann only benefits because uh he's never been a guy that played every single game uh as as a as a catcher he was never the starting catcher really in his career he's, he's never been a 130 game a year catcher uh if you make him a 105, 110 game a year catcher and give Tomas Nito 45, 55 starts because Nito is good enough defensively where you can handle that. And again, the offense, even if Nito is not a very good offensive catcher, James McCann isn't either right now. Yeah. So there's not a big drop off no so there. There's no loss there. So what do you have to lose by, by putting Nito in there? What is the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is that Nito breaks out. Are the you know, and then you're you're stuck with this four-year commitment for a guy, and you're like, all right, what do we have a backup, a glorified expensive backup catcher here, Tomas Nito, who might apparently be good. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's going to happen, but that's the worst case scenario tied with, oh, Nito is just as bad as McCann. In which case, you're, you know, all right, someone will figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Would you rather pay forty million for four years for a bad product that is consistently bad, or would you rather play? or pay for 40 million for four years for a bad product who doesn't all have to play all the time because you decided to play a good product over. Him. You know what I mean? Like it's the sunk cost idea just, and it's not fair to say that it's a sunk cost because it's only April and we're giving Lindor a pass for his bad April. Um, you know, we're moving into May. I, I like McCann's not going to end the year with these kinds of stats. I hope. Um, you know, also like, you know, just, I think Nito has probably earned his shot. I think you're hundred percent right. Um, and, and the other, the other thing is that these guys are competitors. These are professional athletes. McCann has already a certain amount of pressure on, on him, you know, having gotten a four-year commitment from this team, he understands, uh, he understands that the fan base expects more from him. If you sit him down for a day or you sit him down for, you know, a day here and a day there, two out of the three games, or, or if he if he sits twice in the St. Louis series or whatever, I think that sends a message to James that he has to do better. He probably knows, but 
Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no punishment right now for him playing poorly mm-hmm. because there's really no risk of him being sat down. Luis Rojas, if he sits him down, you might get a reaction out of James McCann. He might say, all right, okay, you know, crap. I really need to get things going here. Yeah. I really need to key in. I need to fix my, what's going on with me and I need to play better. And maybe that ignites something under him. Maybe we get a little Donnie Stevenson action. James McCann figures what's going on with him. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Donnie Stevenson. God. Who knows? Who knows? But what I'm saying is that there's no downside in sitting McCann down. There's no downside. No, not at all. And maybe maybe the Grom game's not the best game to sit him down because you have uh, a lefty on the mound and Kim going against the Grom. So maybe that would be a good matchup for him. Um, but I I definitely think that one of the next two games, McCann should probably take a seat. Yeah. Um, whether it's – we don't even know who's really starting tomorrow. It's maybe a bullpen game uh, in the first yeah. game against St. Louis. Get some uh, fun Reed Foley in there, dude. Make it happen. They put, I've, missed, I've missed my SRF uh, oh, uh, dose. We love our squatty boy, don't we, folks? But, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. If I was Luis Rojas, I probably would have had Nito start at least once this week to begin with, this weekend to begin with. Um. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I think I probably would have started Nito tonight, to be honest. But uh, who knows? Yeah. So uh, man, we're coming up on, like, I think the 40, 45-minute mark at least. What do you say we uh, unveil the guys of the week? Let's do it. All Let's right. do it. Um, so I'll go first, uh, if, that's, if that's all right with you, because mine's a little yeah. – I don't know. It, it made me think – so in the spirit of, like, Met – bench guys coming through um i thought a little bit about games where players who nobody had heard of like before that game came through and made and made things happen uh jose peraza is probably the guy in this case who uh is least likely to stick around much longer um if he ends his met career batting 1000 it was a pretty memorable hit um not, you know, it, 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 he wasn't the player of the game, but uh, it made me think about someone who definitely is remembered by Matt fans, uh, in some circles at least, for his, you know, play off the bench uh, and certainly player of the game play off the bench. Uh, I'm talking about Chip Ambries. Sam, do you know who Chip Ambries is? Oh, I, I believe I know who Chip Ambries is. Why don't you why don't you tell us a little about Chip Ambries, Jack? Right. So Chip Ambries was a right-handed hitting outfielder, a pretty big dude who the Mets purchased the contract of in like the middle of the summer in 2007 for one series in Los Angeles. Uh, he came off the bench to pinch hit in each of the three games, uh, struck out the first game, you know, not a great start. Uh I think I, – I don't know what the result was in the second game, what the at-bat was. He didn't get on base. In the third game, he came up um, as a pinch hitter in the ninth inning in a tie game, uh, and he drilled the go-ahead game-winning base hit. Oh, no, it was the 10th inning. I'm looking now. It was the 10th inning. Uh, he came off the bench, drove in uh, Lasting's Millage, and two days later, the Mets DFA'd him. He never played again for the New York Mets. Um, hopefully Chip Ambries uh, is somebody that you guys are thinking about right about now. Cause I, I, I really hope he is having a, uh, a pleasant good evening. That's you- a great guy to remember. That's a really great guy to remember. I'm going to remember someone kind of also on theme, but like a different theme. I, yeah. I was so caught up in the game and what we were going to say post game that I really, I didn't really prepare anything. So I, I was like, who's a, who's a former Met former Philly that I could remember. And so I've decided I'm going to remember Wilson Valdez who, mm-hmm. who played for the 09 Mets, you know, one of the, the 17,000 shortstops the Mets went through as Jose Reyes was injured 41 games with the Mets hit 256, uh, no homers, 664 OPS. And then he went and played two seasons of fairly productive baseball uh, for the Phillies, not productive in terms of off- offensive value because he was around the same mid 600s OPS. Um, actually had the same OPS plus with the Phillies in 2010 as he did with the Mets in 2009 at 78, which if you OPS plus averages is a hundred, 
uh, seven. You know if you watch ESPN because they put it up on every batter's thing. But yeah, twenty two percent below average is a seventy eight uh, OPS, yeah. but or OPS plus. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And then uh, and then a seventy four OPS plus for the Phillies in twenty eleven, and then a twenty five OPS plus for the Reds in twenty twelve. But you know, middle infielder, a little shortstop. I believe he pitched a couple of games for the Phillies. I want to say. Yeah, that's had a strong arm. He had a strong arm, but um, didn't have a lot going for him besides that. Um, But, you know, in the spirit of a Mets Phillies uh, uh, series with uh, lots of uh, lots of rivalry action and lots of, you know, tempers flaring and all that stuff. um, Instead of uh, uh, remembering a Phillies reliever uh, who, who, you know, caused some some tempers to be flared at one point, uh, Mm -hmm. I've decided to remember Wilson Valdez. That's a good one. That is a very good one. I hope Wilson Valdez is having a pleasant good evening. We should do that when we remember our guys. Just say that we wish they had a pleasant good evening. I think that'd be a good little throw in. I think that'd be nice. I think they'd appreciate it if they're listening. It's now after midnight here. So should we say a pleasant good morning? <laughs> pleasant good morning. Yeah. That could be the episode name. I love that. All right. So well, this is the this is a, a first for the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. Is we is the first late night recording we've ever done. As we uh, we got in here post post Sunday night baseball, a instant classic between the Mets and the Phillies, as the Mets took the final game of a three game a very heated three game series by a score of eight to seven. Reese Hoskins, please please don't have a pleasant good evening. I don't think you are. I don't think you are having a pleasant good evening a, because a, yeah, don't have a pleasant good morning either. Yes, uh, but anyways, for for Jack Hendon and and you know, all the work that he puts in, all the work that I put in to get you guys the content, the sweet, sweet content. I've been Sam Lovowitz and Mets fans have a pleasant day.